Good afternoon, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. You can also find our April print edition across the city in our red and white news boxes in more than 60 public libraries, as well as independent bookstores, cafes, social movement centers, and other venues. It's great to be with you here on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Uh, my co-host, Amiga Garian, is out today, but we will have a chance to hear from her later in the show. And wow, what an action-packed show we have for you today. In our opening segment, we'll hear from Priscilla Grimm the Brooklyn-based digital media activist who was arrested at a cop city protest in Atlanta on March 5th and was held on uh, without bail for a month before finally being released last week. Later in the show, we'll follow up on the violent police raid that shut down an Easter Sunday gathering at Sunset Park organized by Mexicanos Unidos. And we'll talk with NYPD watchdog and indie columnist John Tufel about the fat new contract Mayor Eric Adams signed last week with the largest of New York City's five police unions. But first we turn to the story of a New York City activist who has finally made it home from Cop City protests in Atlanta after being jailed for a month. Priscilla Grimm was arrested at a music festival in in the Wilani Forest on the night of March 5th. Uh, she and 22 others uh, were charged with domestic terrorism on what can only be uh, called trumped-up evidence, uh, things like uh, wearing uh, black clothes and having mud stains on their pants uh, were cited uh, as uh, evidence by the district, De- the DeKalb County District Attorney's Office for these serious charges. Uh, and so pe- most of the arrestees were initially denied bail and uh, uh, pres- uh, jail for uh, a month under uh, some pretty appalling conditions along with the others. And uh, so we're really excited to have Priscilla uh, join us here in a minute. She's a longtime digital media activist uh, here in New York, was an editor for the Occupied, uh, Occupied Wall Street Journal newspaper at the height of the Occupy movement and has continued uh, to run a number of Occupied-themed uh, digital um, uh, social media pages and it's just been a real force in activism here in New York for many years and joined in the Stop Cop City movement as well. Uh, Priscilla Grimm, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you, John. It's an honor. Yes. So first of all, can you just uh, tell us uh, how it feels to be uh, out of jail and uh, back uh, home at your apartment in Brooklyn? Oh, my God. I'm so glad to be back. Um, I keep joking. I'm back in New York City where things make sense. Um, I mean, everything is I'm enjoying all of it. I'm enjoying being free, being with my daughter, not having the sounds of slamming metal and relentless lighting invading my dreams. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of things. But my my experience about that is not unique. Right. There's like millions of people going home from jail every day in the United States. So, Right. Um, and before we talk any more about uh, your time at the DeKalb County Jail, uh, can you uh, talk a little bit about why you went to Atlanta uh, to join the Cop City protests? 
Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in the South between Atlanta and Nashville. Um, my, I grew up in a, a town called Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in Nashville. And my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents lived in Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta, um, you know, and just, and I, I did a year of university at uh, Emory University there. And I lived there for a year as I was a young adult and uh, really wanted to make my life there. But even then, there were a lot of problems around making a life in the South that it just didn't seem like it was possible. Um, so there was that. And then I, I heard about this movement of people who had been gathering after years of literally, there's been literally years of community rejection of the Cop City project. And after even two full days of city council testimony, the Atlanta city council passed the project into development, despite what the community actually asked for. Um, and so when I heard about that and I heard about the murder of George Gita, um, and Gita what it was actually, a, you know, an activist who was uh, a part of an encampment in the forest where this thing will be built. Uh, if, if they yes. get away with it. And they were sitting in their tent cross-legged with their hands up and shot 13 times by police and is the first environmental activist to be murdered by the police in the United States. Um, it's the dangerous escalation of militarization of our police state and effectively it would become Disneyland built for police gangs to come down and vacation at. And, you know, that includes um, police precincts and, you know, squads from other states. Um, so when they called, when the, when the call was issued for people to come down for convergence, um, I couldn't pass it up. I mean, it's everything together. It's, you know, Atlanta needs these green spaces these corporations who are invested into the project are manipulating local process. And, you know, we don't need to be putting more money into policing anywhere in the United States. Um, and, you know, this will just start off an entire, um, you know, uh, an entire theme of these, these spaces being built. There's one being built in, um, Pittsburgh right now. There's another one that's being built or has been built in Chicago. They're building another one in, um, in Hawaii. I mean, this is the next trick of capitalism, these cop cities and also a way for the police to see us as further, not human and to, you know, basically train against community Floyd protests in some ways. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And they're trying to put it off as something about public safety. And it's not. I mean, cities are filled with communities, not enemy combatants, which is what Cop City wants to train police into thinking about us as. I can't think of anything that would make us less safe than a cop city. Right. And we, we've uh, talked about Cop City on this show and in, 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 in previous shows. But for any any listeners that are still you know uh, wanting to learn more or catch up on uh, Cop City, uh, it's the uh, featured uh, cover story in the current edition of the Independent. Uh, my colleague Amba Gagarian also traveled down to Atlanta for that uh, convergence at the beginning of 
March and wrote a, a really outstanding uh, cover article, over 3,000 words, uh, you know, really, uh, really thorough um, coverage of both the movement and, and what Cop City uh, means. So uh, people can find that online at independent.org um, or in all those uh, venues I listed at the top of the show where we put the paper out um, each month. So um, it's, it, you know, as you say, it's an important topic and, and people can find out more from uh, Amba's uh, coverage in our, in our current issue. Um, so you, uh, you were arrested along with others and the Atlanta media and many uh, local politicians there who support cop city uh, ins- insisted the protests had been stirred up by a small group of, quote, outside agitators. We've heard this line before, but uh, can you describe uh, the size and scale of the uh, actual on-the-ground anti-cop, move- anti-cop city movement in Atlanta, which was also participating in that week of, uh, of protest? Well, I was only there for two days <laughs> just okay. to, like, level out expectations. So when I was there... There seemed to be a little more than a thousand people actually on the site and all the on the ground people I talked to said it was the largest convergence that they'd experienced so far. And, um, and further the night I was arrested, I was arrested with a little over 40 people and the arresting officers looked at us and asked us to raise our hands if we were from Georgia and then asked us to raise our hands if we were not from Georgia. Everyone who is from Georgia was released without charges. Everyone who is not from Georgia was put in the quote, you'll get out of the get out of jail pile or or go to jail pile. They're sending us to jail and not telling us even what our charges were. And I, I kept asking and they didn't even tell me until I got to the holding cell what the charge was. Right. And, uh, uh, a very serious charge that comes with uh, uh, about zero evidence, but we won't uh, dwell on that at at this time. But um, so once you're um, you were taken to the De- uh, DeKalb uh, County Jail, um, can you uh, describe the the conditions that you and uh, others experienced while you were being held there? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say any of this was just specific to us being political prisoners, but it was not. This is how the DeKalb, and it's pronounced DeKalb in Georgia. Okay. The the DeKalb County Jail. Really, this is the way that they roll. Like, my experience was horrible, and I was subjected to and witnessed human rights abuses while being psychologically tortured for a month, which is what just happened. Um. Uh, we were subjected to just torturous sounds and treatment like 24 hours a day. Um, they only fed us every 12 to 14 hours. So only twice a day. Um, they got away with saying it was three meals because one of those times, so they would feed us breakfast around between three and five o'clock in the morning. And then they wouldn't feed us our lunch slash dinner until three to five o'clock at night. Um, that was one thing. The other thing that they kept the pods where we were at, like it had to be close to 55 degrees. I can't imagine it was any warmer than that. Um, it was really cold. And we heard that from the men's side of the prison, they had the exact opposite problem. Um, that was way too hot. So they're, so we're getting starved. We we're not warm. Um, Myself and the other activists really um, 
organize the pod to get uh, to file grievances uh, with the county, which you could do through these little electronic tablets that they gave us. And we issued so many of them that they actually gave us uh, more blankets, which was great. But um, issues um, that culminated in like three days before I got out, we actually had a flood that was, it flooded out three of the pods in my block. So mm-hmm. like each block had like four to five pods and each pod had like 20 to 30 people. And it was basically standing water that the inmates were cleaning up because one of the guards tried to start cleaning it up and she messed up her sneakers and started crying, which was kind of funny <laughs> um, because she was so mean. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but they were having the, you know, having the inmates clean this up without footwear. Like they're wearing like slippers, like slides and socks. They're not wearing actual shoes and it's contaminated water. It was like really horrible. I mean, there was like black mold everywhere. Um, we we're lucky if there wasn't mold on our food. And if we saw the mold on our food, we were lucky if we could get it swapped out. Like it really depended if the guard liked you or not, or didn't see you as trouble. Um, the first three days I was there, um, the guards kept trying to like step in front of me to get me to like run into them which is really like weird and hard. Um, So yeah, it was, it was like over 30 days of just trying to think of how can I just survive today and be okay. Um, You know, I was really lucky. We were lucky in that, you know, the guards and the, you know, the jailers were really who we were most afraid of. You know, most of the people who go to jail in Georgia it's misdemeanors from traffic violations or, or like, you know, um, driving license things. Like it's, it's so innocuous what people are going to jail for, for like one, two, three days. And and during that time, it's totally messing up their entire life. It must have, you know, like you can't go to jail. You can't take care of like everything just falls apart. Right. People have children. They have have lives. Yeah. And they're being, uh, sidetracked into this uh, into this jail. System. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, this is this same jail is also at other times uh, held uh, notable individuals. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was sent there in October of 1960 for a, a misdemeanor traffic violation and was yeah. Uh, yeah. originally sentenced to do four months of hard labor, uh, though. Uh, uh, John F. Kennedy in his presidential campaign interceded with the governor of Georgia and MLK was released shortly uh, before the election. Um, so uh, a long history here with this uh, with this jail facility and, and uh, all sorts of people being swept into it. And of course, it brings to mind the situation here in New York City with Rikers Island, where exactly. uh, people are often held pre-trial for months or even years um, uh, uh, with all, you know, also incredibly uh, difficult uh, circumstances. Uh, just lastly, before we have to go here, uh, can you talk a little bit about the uh, support you received uh, while you and the others were um, on the inside, and just uh, you know, kind of uh, how you're feeling as you move forward, and I mean, you still have these uh, charges hanging over you, and prosecutors who seem intent on manufacturing a case uh, where where there is none. 
Right. I mean, so first, I am super lucky. I have amazing friends and amazing community here in New York City, and I send out love to everyone because they've been so supportive and really helped out my daughter and I in getting me, like, books and postcards in the jail and making me feel loved. And since I've come home, like, it's been everything, you know, I could hope for, just so much kindness and softness. It's just good. And even though the charges are heavy, the only thing I can do right now is just stay positive. And, you know, the thing is that any, but this could happen to anybody like with the statistically so many millions of people again are going to jail and prison in the United States that it's more likely statistically that you will become part of the system than not, which is why we all should be committing to a vision of abolition and, and bringing this whole system to a close because it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't make us safer in any way. And all it does is really just injure people, bring more harm to those who don't need more harm brought it. Nobody needs harm brought in their lives, but you know, it just brings more harm and trauma to everyone involved. Um, and I'm super lucky in that I have a group of people who are supporting me, uh, you know, as I come out of this and try to move into the next chapter, whatever that is, and fighting the charges. Um, they built a site. Uh, my good friend Jeff has built a site uh, called it's supportpriscilla.org. Um, if people want to go to it to learn about the case and keep up with it. Um I'm just working hard on it. I have a great attorney from Atlanta that um, we really jive together. We, you know, work together really well and uh, the vibe is there and I'm just hopeful. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm just a simple blogger. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, very good at what you do with that. Um, but uh, Priscilla Grimm, a, a digital media activist uh, based here in New York city, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Independent News Hour. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Stop Again. Cop City. It'll never be built. Let's do this. All right. And you can find keep up on Priscilla's case at supportpriscilla.org. And we'll be back after this short music break. <laughs> 